Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everybody. I am Nicolas Bornoviso, president of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you all to the 2024 Capital Link's corporate presentation series. In this series, Company management highlights the company's current operations, business development, growth prospects, and sector outlook. We have to dust today, uh, with us today the senior management of uh, NYSE-listed uh, international seaways. Uh, we have with us uh, Ms. Lois Labrotti, President and CEO, and uh, Mr. Jeff Prebor, Senior Vice President and CFO, and Mr. Thomas Trovato, Head of uh, Investor Relations. As we all know, international seaways is one of the largest tanker companies worldwide, providing energy transportation services for crude oil and petroleum products in international flag markets. The National Seaways owns and operates a fleet of 77 tankers, uh, uh, including VLCCs, MRs, Aframaxes, LR2s, and so on, uh, and 35 MR tankers. Uh, International Seaways is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol INSW. In terms of logistics, uh, we will begin with a company presentation followed by Q&A. Please note that participants can submit uh, your questions anytime during the presentation, and uh, Jeff and uh, Lois, uh, Lois and Jeff will uh, reply to them after the uh, presentation. Very quickly, uh, before we begin, uh, a reminder that uh, this is strictly for informational and educational purposes and should not be relied upon. The webinar does not constitute investment advice and neither an offer to buy or sell securities or advice of any kind. And obviously, Capital Link bears no responsibility for it. Uh, now, let us begin our discussion. I will turn the floor over to uh, Lois and Jeff and Tom, and thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, Nicholas. At International Seaways, we really appreciate this opportunity and we appreciate everyone tuning in this morning to learn more about International Seaways. We're always pretty excited at our business and in particular right now, the, the tanker markets are very strong and this has been the case for going into two years and we're really at the forefront of the world's developing situations. We're going to start with the presentation and uh, Tom Travato here, our head of IR, will go through the slides for us. And I, I first wanted to mention that you can find this presentation on our website at www.internationalc. So it's I-N-T-L-C-S-E-A-S.com. And we want to start with the first couple of pages, the first of which is really our disclaimer. And it simply advises everyone that we are in a very volatile business and there are uh, statements we may make about the future and the tanker sectors and the many moving parts that impact our business. Then we're going to start with the International Seaways overview and our story. As Nicholas mentioned, we have 77 tankers. Our fleet capacity is nearly 9 million deadweight tons. 
we own and operate 30 crude vessels and 47 product carriers. We characterize 11 of our mid-sized vessels that are LR1s as product carriers for our reporting purposes. And they actually carry crude. And what we can do with the mid part of our fleet, we have about 15 vessels that can um, either load crude or product. And depending upon the health of the markets, we deploy them to their best advantage. So when you really look at international seaways, we're very evenly deployed between crude and product ships. We'll get deeper into the classes of vessels as we move through the presentation. The identity of international seaway has truly evolved. But the one thing that has stayed consistent, we're all about providing safe and reliable operations with the conscientiousness overlaid, taking the environment into consideration in a scalable model that allows us to expand and contract our fleet throughout the tanker cycle and builds upon our track record. Today, we have excess available liquidity to renew the fleet, to return to shareholders, and to reduce our debt. And this is just critically important that we're able to perform across the entire capital allocation spectrum. If we look at our debt and we talk about our debt on the lower right-hand side, at September 30th, we had about $600 million of net debt with $214 million of cash on hand and $855 million of gross debt. That number today is much lower and we'll talk about that later in the presentation. Our liquidity continues to increase with our undrawn revolver capacity. We acquired our tanker assets for a net of $2 billion and today they are valued at well over $3 billion. Overall, the company has a very low leverage ratio. Our return on assets in today's environment is significantly higher than most. Next slide, please. We've come a long ways since spinning off in late 2016 from our predecessor company, Overseas Ship Holding Group. OSG still exists today with purely Jones Act assets. We represent the international side of the business and our tanker fleet has effectively doubled since our spinoff and our capacity is up by more than 1.6 times. We started our journey with our liquidity at about 50% restricted cash this element of our balance sheet has completely dropped away as we continue to improve and strengthen our balance sheet. Today, our balance sheet has been transformed with a large revolving credit facility and strong liquidity. Today, we're gonna to talk about, for example, on the lower right chart, the way if you drew some lines, you'd see that we diligently reduced our debt, while at the same time, our asset values have been consistently rising. 
are really the key principles and key components by which we run international seaways. Capital allocation, sustainability, ESG, a hybrid operating model, a quality capital structure. And then we do all of this in what today is a very compelling tanker fundamentals. So the first tenet on capital allocation, when you invest in INSW, you will know that we are strong stewards of the cash that we generate. We have a track record of a balanced execution strategy that returns to shareholders at the same time as setting up our future by lowering our debt and taking steps to renew our fleet. Sustainability. We believe in sustainability. This involves not only tracking reductions in carbon emissions, but also maintaining good governance and social practices that allow and set up our future. Our hybrid operating model allows us with our deeply rooted history to manage our day-to-day -day business with a small corporate footprint with our execution carried out by third partners, by third party partnerships. It also allows for us to grow quickly as we did in 2021. We more than doubled in our size in only three months with the Diamond S merger. Our capital structure, this has only continued to evolve and improve over the last seven years. Our balance sheet is in the best shape it has ever been with low leverage, quality debt, 29 unencumbered vessels, and one of the lowest break-even levels given our size and the complexity of our fleet in the industry. These low break-even levels allow us to capture today's strong market. And it allows us to grow without sacrificing the company. And finally, the tanker market. Tanker demand continues unabated. We had an extremely above cycle demand growth year in 2023. And the projections are quite varied for 2024, but if you take an average, it's around a million and a half barrels a day, which is very strong. And finally, tanker owners have been reluctant to order new buildings for technological reasons. And that has set us up from the supply side in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time. We delve into our capital allocation. And we believe that capital allocation is not one simple single formula that doesn't vary throughout time. We're active managers and we wanna actively be executing all of our levels at the right times in the cycle. We believe that holds value rather than simply having one set formula. We have a track record of buying our tankers at low points in the cycle. And we have voluntarily chipped away at our leverage 
especially during the last 12 months, as you will see in our upcoming charts. We started to get some tailwinds in our business as 22, the year of 2022 started. And over the last 12 months, we have paid out over $300 million in returns to our shareholders. You know, when you look at this, it's really over 55% of our free cash flow of roughly $550 million. And we prepaid voluntarily over $300 million of debt. And we simultaneously invested in the future of international seaways with the order of four LR1s to deliver at the second half of 2025. When we look at the results of our capital allocation approach, we think that we're seeing the benefits of the priorities that we have made. These charts show the tangible results from the moves that we made as, as a management and board as we compile our track record. In the upper left, when we started seven years ago, the fleet was much smaller at 5.6 million dead weight and over 12 years old. Our fleet is now under 10 years old and is sitting right at 9 million in dead weight. On the upper right-hand side of the page, our cash break-evens were nearly $4,000 lower this year than last year. Our cash break-even levels are right at $15,000 per day, slightly below. This is really important because the more free cash flow that we can throw off as a company, the more we can prioritize capital allocation and returns to shareholders. If you look at the total shareholder returns, our dividends have meant that we have provided a 21% compound annual growth to our shareholders over each, over the total of the last seven years. This chart really shows you how we have built the company and how we will continue to build the company. In the tanker business, it's absolutely critical to buy your assets at the right time. And as you can see, we made a lot of moves during the downturns in the market. Most of this in the recent period was conducted during the height of COVID, when it took a lot of, it took a lot of courage to really make these execution moves. Our most meaningful call was in 2021 in connection with the Diamond S merger. We basically acquired 50 tankers, 60 tankers, and transitioned them into our system in a very short period of time. We were able to execute this across vessel classes by having a hybrid model and the incremental GNA was very marginal. We were able to hit all of our $30 million in synergy targets. Largely that was on the expense side. And then there were also revenue benefits that we took advantage in the combination of the fleet. The timing of this merger has had a profound impact on the cash break even levels of our company and our overall returns. And we really wanted to illustrate just how fabulous we've done. ESG. This is certainly a, a journey in sustainability. We take it very seriously. We do transport carbon 
concentrated barrels propelled by carbon intensive fuel. We're very aware of this and we know shipping is about 3% of the carbon emitted in the world. At International Seaways, we're doing our part. We talk a lot about the E because of what we do, but we also talk about the S, which is not only safety and not only social, but we expand that to include safety. And we think that's critically important factor across our close to 20 nationalities, shoreside and at sea for international seaways. The G of governance has been a component that has always been critical to international seaways and our predecessor company, having been publicly traded for over 50 years, if you combine the predecessor company and international seaways. What is our hybrid operating model? When we talk about that, we're really talking about both the technical part of the fleet and the commercial part of the fleet. So while International Seaways at headquarters, we really work together to set the principles of how we're going to operate our fleet. What's the budget going to be? What's the level of investment that we will be spending? How much sustainability spend will we have each year? And then we take that plan and we work with our partners on the technical side, including V Group and Anglo Eastern. Last week, I was in Glasgow and we were celebrating 10 years of partnership with V Group since International Seaways, our predecessor company, outsourced to them. And when you're talking about outsourcing, when I was sitting there and we were embracing the partnership that we have developed over the years, I'm seeing the same faces that were there 10 years ago. And in the tanker business, it's critically important that you have the continuity. We have with our officers at sea over 11 years of service with international seaways. And you say, well, gee, you haven't even been around 11 years. The sailors have been sailing with our predecessor company in international seaways in our ring-fenced crewing operation for that length of time. So that kind of continuity is just absolutely important. And yet the way that we've done this has allowed for international seaways to really keep a tight rein on our GNA costs. On the commercial side, we've been able to take our ships and employ them in pools. Three of these pools we have ownership interest in. And we really like to be able to sit down at the table and help develop strategy and make sure that our pools are in the earning vehicles that are premium in the marketplace. We were founders of the TI pool, Tankers International, which manages our VLCCs and today has over 40 VLCCs, one of the leading VLCC operators in the world. Our Panamax International pool is really a highlight. And in that joint venture, we work together with Ultra of Chile, as well as Flopec, the national oil company in Ecuador, to optimize the returns on our Panamax vessels, LR1s, loading dirty at present. Our strong financial position. I really want you to look on the right-hand side 
where we highlight elements of the balance sheet. Number one, strong liquidity. Over $400 million today in undrawn revolving credit capacity and around $200 million of cash. We invested $2 billion in our fleet that today is worth well over $3 billion. In our business, asset values are tied to rates and our return on assets for the last two years has been extremely strong. Number three, on the bottom right, our debt has moved even lower than shown here. You're looking at $770 million as shown. Today, our debt is even below here. This year, we made incremental payments, last 12 months, incremental payments as part of our balanced capital allocation approach, which in turn, as we mentioned already, lowered our break-even levels. The market outlook. Our tanker market continues to be extremely strong. We think that this is sustainable for a period of time, even with additional upside. In 2024, there's a lot of conversation about potential recessionary headwinds. Certainly for us, in the medium to long term, there's a disconnect between our demand and our supply that we believe will underlie the strength in the tanker market and really act as a counter effect on economic impact. Oil supply growth is largely in the West, west of the Suez Canal, in the Americas. Regional oil demand is largely driven by the East in emerging growth economies such as India, China, and other Asia. Our oil tankers are split between crude and product and the ability of the world to process crude oil into refined products is stretching the distances for transportation from the west to the east. At the same time, tanker supply or vessels order, ordered could actually possibly shrink, which I haven't seen in 30 years. And this may happen in the coming years as the vessels age in place. We haven't seen the amount of new vessels delivering or even being ordered to replace the amount of tonnage that's on the water today. This chart just really shows you where we are in our tanker market. Our earnings are extremely strong across every sector of our fleet. That includes both our crude tankers and our product carriers. When we look at tanker demand, a couple of, of strong points here. Oil demand in the world is well over 100 million barrels per day. This worldwide demand presents an enormous base. And as I mentioned earlier, it looks like in 2024, we'll grow by about a million and a half barrels a day. 60 million barrels of oil per day is transported by sea. When you think about it, you could say 
but at the same time, that breakdown of 60 million barrels includes 40 some of crude and 20 some of product. But it's a huge component of the oil consumed in the world per day. The dynamics of our ton miles or where we're moving our crude and product continues to shift. But the major trends, trends continue to hold with growth of crude production west and consumption of refined products east, either refined in the west and moved or in the east and taken to the far east or brought west. So it's very complex, the trading patterns on the tankers, but ton miles have grown significantly over the last two years. We also monitor oil inventories, and this is critically important because they're a general indicator of what oil demand and the picture is in the world. During COVID, oil inventories had grown dramatically. All of these inventory levels have been brought down to well within the five-year range or even below in many cases. If you look on the bottom right-hand part of the slide, the strategic reserves in the United States are quite low. We're down to 340, 350 million barrels. And the United States looks to replenish incrementally the SPR as we go through 2024 and have already started doing this. And this only adds to the, the demand as inventories are used up. Russian oil displacement, this is a topic all on its own, but suffice it to say that the fact that Russian crude is largely going east to India and China, as opposed to going into Europe as, as it used to prior to the war, and Russian products are seeking destinations beyond Europe. You cannot take Russian crude into Europe at the moment. This adds complexity to our underlying ton mile demand and really makes for a recipe where the tanker market utilization is high. And once the utilization gets high enough, the pressures on the market create a situation where we earn more money on our tankers. The tanker supply, I will close on. And here, I just think it's, it's really compelling that the age of the tanker fleet operated on the water is today 13 years, where 10 years ago in 214, the average age of the world tanker fleet was eight years old. So over that 10 years, our fleet has gotten older and older. And this setup of having a smaller order book and a fuller order book out for two to three years is really a very strong construct in the tanker space. So with that, that really concludes my prepared remarks and we're hoping that you'll have some questions for us today. Okay, uh, I think we can just start off. We got a, one first question in here and it says, International Seaways has traded at a discount to its uh, net asset value. Do you think that there is, do you, do you know that there's a, a real reason why, or maybe you can expand upon that? 
why don't I start, Jeff? And sure. you can always chime in. So, you know, I guess I'll start with, you know, this is our, this is our ever long project, you know, where we look to close the gap. And one thing I will say is that our net, net asset value has run dramatically as has our overall valuation. And we have been able to close the gap somewhat. And we believe that as we have created this track record on our capital allocation, that that will continue to close even more. Do you want to expand on that, Jeff? I think that's the story. Uh, all tanker companies tend to trade in a range from somewhere below NAV to sometimes at or above NAV. And, uh, you know, we, we, our, our plan is to, as you said, just build on the track record of, of really superior capital allocation, which we think over time will be reflected in our share price. So I think from an investor point of view, it's a real opportunity. Uh, I think just flipping through um, the idea, uh, there's been a lot of recent news in the Red Sea. Um, and I thought it's probably just easier to comment generally. Um, so yeah. by all means, well, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. So yes, I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, in the oil tankers, you know, we tend to be on the forefront of evolving geopolitical events and, and the Red Sea presently and the Suez Canal is no exception. You know, we, we don't like to comment uh, on our security considerations. What we will say is that we are working hourly, daily with our technical guys are working with security services as well as central command and taking advice. And we will put our seafarers foremost of mind and we decide day by day. So there have been decisions to go uh, around the Cape of Good Hope, which adds 10 to 15 days per voyage. And we will continue to assess and decide on a daily basis based on safety first, security first for the company. And we work with really strong partners with the oil companies that also have very strong core values. And we feel that, you know, we've been able thus far, you know, to really make the decisions that have been appropriate for our seafarers and our ships. Um, another large uh, geopolitical event is is the Russian-Ukraine situation. Uh, do you have a policy on on um, on uh, trading Russian crude or or products? Yeah, so we we elected um, at International Seaways. We elected from the beginning to not uh, trade any Russian barrels. We have not transported any of the barrels throughout the war and this crisis. We are, you know, as I say, we don't create the world, we simply navigate it. And, you know, we are a beneficiary of the increased ton miles as Russian crude and product no longer serves its immediate neighbor uh, being Europe. And therefore, you know, the, the length of transportation and delivering oil to further distances has provided an underlying additional factor on top of the fact that oil demand in the world was resuming post-COVID, oil inventories had been drawn down. On top of that, you layer in um, 
you know, the Russian war and displacement of barrels. And this has just provided a very strong underlying fundamental. Of course, I hope it goes without saying that we hope for, you know, we the cessation of hostilities all over the world. Yeah, maybe also just put a couple of numbers on 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 the effects you were referring to. I mean, uh, as mentioned, the growth in production of oil last year, two thousand twenty-three, was over two percent, but that's magnified by the fact that that all the incremental oil goes by sea mostly, and so that makes it more like three to four uh, percent growth in tanker demand. Then on top of that, you have the ton mile expansion because of the security. Uh, concerns around, as you said, Russian oil going east and not to Europe and products doing the same, made for more like a seven or eight percent uh, uh, expansion in ton miles uh, in a year. So, Correct. And, and uh, just uh, we're, uh, as Tom asked about before, monitoring the Red Sea, hopefully the situation resolves itself sooner than later. But I've seen estimates that if all non-Russian oil were diverted around the Cape of Good Hope, rather going through the Suez Canal and, and uh, uh, the Red Sea that that could have a similar effect on ton miles as we've seen from the Russian-Ukraine war. So it just is what it is. We, as you said, we can't we can't make we hope these things resolve themselves, but right. we'll, we'll react to them as best we can. And it begs the question of you know that follow-on situation of okay, you know um, you know let's let's say they work it out and and uh, hopefully uh, hostilities end. We believe that you know it would take a lot of time for the US and the EU to drop sanctions and that uh, the EU will continue to diversify themselves as they have in the last two years with their energy reliance and their energy sources. Uh, speaking of energy, do you, what, what is the, the future propulsion of uh, tankers going to be? So, you know, I, I, we, these, I, I'm just going to use our anecdote of, you know, we ordered these four LR1s with conventional engines and we strengthened the decks and put in stronger generators or more high powered generators. Uh, we took measures so that we will be able to convert them to dual fuel LNG engines. And we made that project really, you know, embed additional costs for conversion because we know regulations will only become stricter. We don't know exactly what engines will be the prevalent alternative engines and we want to be ready. So we made that project bear the cost over its lifetime of a planned conversion at the first or second dry dock. So, you know, whether that becomes carbon capture or that, you know, is a dual fuel LNG solution, we want to be ready for that and really be uh, able to execute and still end up with a vessel that can have a 25 year life. Um, back to the Red Sea, are there escalation in insurance rates? Hmm. How does that, yeah. how does that work today? Yeah, so you know we've been paying close attention, you know, um, as as you might imagine, and uh, insurance premiums have gone up from, you know, really uh, a couple of months ago there there was there was no uh, premium being assessed to, you know, we're seeing, you know, when you're really in the last couple of days, quotes of up to one percent of your hull value to transit. There may be some discounts off of that. 
uh, when you start to see levels of this amount, it just reflects the, you know, the danger in that area and that zone at present. Does that increase costs? Is that passed on to the customer or do, are we bearing the, or does International Seaways bear the brunt of the, the increase? You know, it's an evolving situation. The charterer does pay for the war risk premium. Um, like in any negotiable market, you know, there'll be a, a point at which the pain and the cost to go through, you know, into uh, the Red Sea and through the Suez Canal outweighs simple economics of going around the Cape. And this is a constantly evolving situation. Um, beyond that, you know, it definitely is a matter where I don't, I don't want to be cavalier that it's, you know, the first thing that we discuss and we talk about is safety of our seafarers and our vessels at international seaways. And that's what we talk about, you know, even when I speak with uh, technical um, on these matters, you know, we do not put economics into that picture. So I just want to be very clear. We're coming up on almost a year of the delivery of your uh, dual fuel VLCCs. Uh, are they using primarily one fuel? Like, the, are they using the LNG or are they using both conventional fuel and the LNG? How does, how does that working today? Oh, that's a great question. And uh, Shell has used a combination of LNG and conventional fuel on these vessels. And increasingly, as LNG prices have come down, they've used a larger component of LNG to burn in the engines. And these vessels, you know, as we see them operating, you know, will come up on a year, as you mentioned, and, you know, the amount of flexibility is very uh, extensive. And the experience that this has given us is great. You know, Shell has the ability to bunker at multiple ports worldwide. And on the Vs, you really only need to bunker uh, a few places in the world. And in the United States, LNG tends to be um, more economic than it is in the East. So they tend to bunker over here. These vessels have been super strong performers for international seaways. And we look for that to only increase going forward. Um, back to your the multi-fuel future, is there a good amount of availability in these alternatives so that you could, in, in the major ports, let's even start with those ones. Um, you know, really no. I mean, if you look at, at Shell, you know, Shell has an extensive LNG uh, portfolio and they have invested in being able to bunker LNG. So that really would be um, the most developed uh, alternative at present. You know, there has to be something of a leap of faith for owners, you know, uh, everyone is doing dual fuel and, you know, if, or straight conventional, it isn't, you know, like with uh, a vehicle where you either do a hybrid or an EV, right? So today in the shipping space, broadly, you need to be able to rely on your conventional engine there is not a wide supply yet of dual fuel availability on the marketplace. And that's something that's developing. So um, stay tuned. Um, with the strength of the tanker markets, 
uh, is there an increased appetite either from the company or your customers to kind of fix some of those uh, earnings or costs to them? Uh, yes. So and we, how long do you look? Sorry, how long no, do you uh, look for a time range on those? Yeah. So the you know in our portfolio, the shell time time charters reach out the farthest. You know those vessels are fixed with a profit share element um, for an additional six and a half years. Most of the charters that we've executed, and we did lay in several on the MR fleet, we, we have five or six on charter presently, and we look to layer those in for multi-years, so up to three years. You know, anything less than a year is, is really a substitute for the spot market, which remains, again, very strong. So we still have a lot of operational leverage to today's prevailing very strong rates, and we have around 15% of our vessels on time charter that provide a fixed income. Uh, in the last 12 months, you've paid a considerable amount of debt down to reduce your break-even costs. Do you expect to sustain that uh, in the future or was 2023 more and more off? Well, I don't know if you can go back to that page, Tom, is that possible? Or yeah. Or yeah. the balance cap allocation? Uh, because you're exactly right. Um, if you look at the last four quarters of results, and then the cap allocation is made in the subsequent quarter. So what you're seeing here on the page is the 2023 payouts. You know, it, uh, it, we so before I get to the debt reduction, we paid out over $300 million to shareholders. So that was about $6.29 a share, which if you look at sort of the average share price over the last year, you know, is uh, over but close to 15% return. So first of all, it's a really good track record of return. While at the same time, that gray bar, just on the far right, just about $300 million of incremental debt pay down on top of about 150 that's built into our debt structure. Now, the question you asked, what about going forward? Actually, the debt we have left now is what we call quality debt. It's the kind of debt that we really uh, like to have because the interest costs in most cases are below interest income today. So it's like the fixed mortgage you have at home that you don't want to pay off. Uh, and so really we'll probably see just less need or desire to pay down incremental debt, which means more scope for paying out to shareholders going forward. So I think as an, as an investment matter, you can look at the track record from last year, look forward and say with all that what's going on in the markets as well as described, should be continuing good good times, and uh, we'll we'll share those with our shareholders. Great, I think that does it for a majority of the questions. So I think we're we're good. And okay, well, we just really want to thank you again. You know, Nicholas and your team, our CFO with me, Jeff Prebor. I'm Lois Zabraki, Tom Travato. And thank you all for joining us. And we appreciate the, the really fantastic uh, questions for International Seaway and your interest in our shares. Thank you so much. Well, thank you from my end uh, to both uh, Lois and Jeff, and of course to Tom. Thank you to all of our participants. As we can tell from the questions we got, uh, tremendous interest in the sector and the companies. So thank you for being with us today. And as a reminder, this, uh, Webinar, this presentation will be available for access upon demand very shortly on the Capital Link um, website, capitallinkwebinars.com, and also on Capital Link's YouTube channel. Thank you to everybody for joining and have a great rest of the day.
Thank you.